0: A lot of times we are met with criticism or critique when you are turned down for a job or when you are runner up in a job or something. And in the moment, it feels very disappointing. But using that critique and then building on that critique to approach the next job even stronger than, than you were before is incredibly important.
2: Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast conversation of the series about making leadership tangible. Leadership and management are an intangible art. And what we're looking for from a business perspective is inspiration in other fields like the performing arts and others, how we can learn to become better leaders. We have recognized this analogy to be a very inspiring one. And in that respect, I'm super excited having you joining us in not only from a musical perspective, but also from a leadership perspective and the role that you play in the orchestra. So thank you very much for joining us. And as a starting point, would you mind to introduce yourself to our listeners?
0: Sure. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, I really look forward to this conversation. This is a fruitful conversation for me as well, to explore the similarities and the analogies between business and the arts. I think it's not two separate fields so i look forward to exploring the the connections between the two i'm stephanie matsuo i'm currently the concertmaster of cincinnati symphony orchestra and cincinnati pops i have been in cincinnati symphony since 2015 the fall of 2015 i started as a second violinist in the orchestra and then became associate concertmaster in 2018 and then concertmaster in fall of 2019 where i've been in that position ever since. I was born in North Carolina and then went to school for my undergrad in Cleveland Institute of Music and then graduate school at the Juilliard School in New York City. And one year before being in Cincinnati Symphony, I was in Indianapolis Symphony, first violin section for, for one season. So thank you again for having me.
2: Thank you, Stephanie. And thanks for the brief introduction. So Working with the analogy, before getting to a, a few questions, I'd like us to discuss about. Can you start to tell the audience a little bit more in detail about your role as concert master in the orchestra? And the reason why I would like to start there is, I think it's one of the most prominent leadership roles of an orchestra. Obviously, there is the conductor, and so on. So, can you talk a bit more in detail about the role of the concert master?
0: Yes, well, Concertmaster kind of works in tandem with with a conductor. So for people that are less familiar with an orchestral setting, the Concertmaster is the first violinist that sits directly when the conductor is looking at the orchestra to the left side of the, the conductor. So they're, by analogy, the conductor's right-hand man or white right-hand woman, but on the left side. And basically, my job is the voice of the orchestra, the representative for all of the musicians, whether it be musical ideas or personal ideas and kind of communicating between the conductor and my colleagues. This comes with other responsibilities, I guess, in that I have to do bowings, which is the direction that the string players bows are going. I have to have a knowledge of the score prior to rehearsals so that I can kind of facilitate easier what the conductor might request of the orchestra in a rehearsal. And then there's the leadership aspect in an actual rehearsal or a concert through playing as well, where I have to give cues or move in a certain way so that ensemble can be made a little bit easier, I guess. Especially during COVID with the distance, the physical movement has been exaggerated a bit.
2: Wonderful, thank you very much for that context, Stephanie. I think that builds a wonderful bridge into a bit more specific question to build on an analogy. So I had conversations with a few conductors and I think the specific leadership role of a conductor in an orchestra is a way that he or she doesn't really play an instrument, but really right. plays the orchestra. And sometimes or a good analogy to business is that a lot of leaders, they're working on the system, but not in the system. Right. Now, based on what you've just outlined, the concertmaster has kind of a bit of a hybrid role. I mean, first of all, you are a musician, you play okay. your instrument. All right. But at exactly. the same time, there is that leadership component, their interaction component with the conductor. You just referred to the rehearsal, but also to the performance. Can you talk a bit more in detail about how that interaction with the conductor looks like and that leadership, that artistic leadership looks like in rehearsals during performances? And is there a big difference in mm-hmm. there? So can you elaborate on that?
0: Sure. So the Partnership with a conductor can start before the first rehearsal, especially if it's a music director that is making appearances with an orchestra throughout the season. There might be meetings before a rehearsal to discuss a conductor's interpretation or what they would like to hear. And this could influence bowing decisions in, in the strings. This could influence preparation for other musicians in terms of tempo indications or which repeats are being done in, in a piece, certain interpretation things, if a conductor is intent on doing a historically accurate performance of Bach or of Mozart, how a musician might have to prepare in that sense, as opposed to more current or romantic interpretation of right. those, those right. works. So those kind of discussions can start, if it's a music director, earlier in the season, even months in advance, as the music is being prepared by the library. right As the rehearsals approach and the the performances are approaching as well, there's more of an on-the-spot, I guess, interaction between a conductor and and the concertmaster and the orchestra. Like you said, the conductor is the one musician on stage that makes no sound in a rehearsal and a, a performance other than when they speak to the orchestra in rehearsal. So their job is purely a conviction of their interpretation of a score and how it is to be communicated. So how their interpretation is communicated in rehearsal, both through speaking and through their actions, and then in the concert, purely through their actions. As a concertmaster, I have to interpret that on my own and then convey that to the orchestra. And sometimes that can be interpreted different ways by people in an orchestra. Maybe it looks one way to me sitting on the the left side of a conductor, but it looks completely different perhaps to a wind player who's sitting directly in front of of the conductor. And sometimes there's a discussion, well, how does this gesture look to you? Maybe it's resulting in something that's not quite together in terms of ensemble. And then that discussion can be solved in in the rehearsal. Yeah, And so part of my job also is not necessarily to be the last, you know, word or anything, but to be able to collaborate with my other, other colleagues on the stage and to kind of help guide those mm-hmm. conversations in a way that's productive and effective, I guess, mm-hmm. in rehearsal. It's very nice in Cincinnati because we do have that kind of open dialogue in, in rehearsals. In some orchestras, mainly in the past not so much these days but the conductor was the the final say in a lot of decision making and and things like that and there wasn't as much collaboration in the orchestra yes but here i think we're very fortunate in that it's a more of a chamber music kind of mm-hmm. feeling so it truly does feel like a collaboration not necessarily compromising because i think compromising sometimes has a negative connotation but collaborating with each other to create hopefully a a nice final <laughs> final product with a kind of a bow on it at the end
1: yeah
2: you touched just on so many interesting aspects i probably would like to dig a little bit deeper sure. one that you just mentioned towards the end is i remember one of the conductors that we talked about talked about the evolution in orchestra music where it became much more democratic much more collaborative right. And not just that statement of the conductor and non-negotiable or non-debatable. So the collaborative aspect is one thing, which is a parallel in leadership too, Its evolution. And by the way, from my own leadership experience, I don't know why I don't know. And I always felt it with much bigger chance of success to really engage the brain power of teams. It's sometimes more difficult route because there might be disagreements coming up, other opinions on the other hand, facilitated well and processed well, usually the outcome is much better one because it got enhanced by so many aspects. Is that kind of an analogy as well that those sometimes maybe even difficult discussion and disagreements that they indeed come to better outcomes in terms of the the music itself then as well?
0: I think so. I think when people enter a week of rehearsals, for example, in preparation for a concert, I mean, obviously the conductor has to be convinced of his or her right. interpretation of the score because there has to be a person in charge or else it becomes a little bit yeah. chaotic. Yeah. But I think if everybody has a certain adaptability or malleability within their playing, within their personal idea of the score, then it will be more unified at at the end, because right. people are willing to try different different things when it comes to rehearsal and interpretation.
2: I think you t- just touched on this a very important component, the, the free will still of everyone that contributes to that. And yeah. I mean, there are concepts of power to dictate on how it should be. You can do that. And maybe still in a performance, people might choose to do differently. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think it's the alignment in terms of making agreements, even if we disagree, with a decision by someone at one point of time, right. that collectively the different contributors agree to say, okay, probably I do it differently, but I can accept that that's what we want to do and I will perform right. respectively.
0: At least in, from my experience sitting in different places of the orchestra, I think from my perspective, you know, when I was in the section, I had so much more respect for a leader to be able to say, you know what, maybe, maybe I wasn't right about that. Maybe I could try a different way. I, that open-mindedness then, as opposed to somebody who is consistently glued to their original, original idea. I think there's so much more respect from the orchestra, for example, when a conductor comes in and yes, they have a, a very strong idea and they're very clear in their intentions with their conducting and with their musical ideas. But If at some point they say, oh, you know what? I really like what principal clarinet did in this section. Why don't we try this in this section? Mm -hmm. I think there's so much more willingness from the orchestra to work with that conductor when the conductor also is reacting with the musicians as well.
2: Yeah. It's wonderful what you say. What I take from that is, if I generalize it a little bit, everything is a matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. What I mean with that. I have been in different functions of an organization, and sometimes a perspective of one function versus the perspective of another one may be an inherent conflict because they have a different business interest. For example, sales would like to have maximum stock availability to be able to fast serve customers, whereas operations from a cash perspective, they want to minimize stock. So there is an inherent conflict. So who is right, who is wrong? They're both right from their specific perspective. Exactly. What I've learned through those conversations is the music sounds very differently depending on at what spot you sit in the orchestra. Is that correct? Yes. So, So all of those are right, but there is still indeed someone who needs to indeed orchestrate it. Right. Where there needs, I think, to be some trust also to someone, not being able exactly to tell how it sounds like where you sit, but with the position the conductor has, he hears it indeed holistically, right? right. Where I think there is some trust that needs to be there as well to trust yeah. some of that leadership, those indications, even if it might sound a little bit weird at the spot that you sit. Is that correct, kind yes. of? Yes, yes,
0: yeah. that's exactly right. For example, the people that sit the closest to the conductor hear. Yes more accurately what what he or she is hearing, because the location on the stage is more similar. When you're sitting in the back of a string section, or if you're in the woodwinds or the brass section, or Mm -hmm. even the most extreme, the percussion section, your perception of what is happening on the stage is completely different because of the lag of sound, or, you know, especially in a big hall where there's a lot of resonance, that lag can be quite large, how long it takes for the sound to reach or reach you, but before you play or reach the audience after you play. So being able to trust a conductor's ears and their gestures and what they say in rehearsal is extremely important yeah. in an orchestra.
2: Trust is one of the key leadership principles. And I think that's another tangible aspect of the analogy. Again, from a functional perspective it's a very specific contribution that is to be made to the bigger picture. I assume same applies in orchestra. It's always important that every musician understand the bigger picture of music, right. although everyone might not be able to hear it depending on what you just outlined, where there is that trust factor of allowing indeed the conductor then to take decisions on how to orchestrate that, to produce the sound to the audience, which exactly. again sounds differently than if you're sitting in the orchestra. So, That's a very, very interesting uh, component. Another one that you just talked about, Stephanie, I found interesting is conveying Mm -hmm. the vision into the orchestra. I mean, there is different ways you elaborated one on. There is a lot of conversations, obviously, talking sometimes weeks, months before, during the rehearsals. Other than the verbal conveying, I mean, Mm -hmm. there are so many other ways. Can you talk a little bit about those? Because I think I can observe quite some of those, but I'm curious to hear from you Because I always perceive the concert master is also conveying constantly during a performance with a lot of physical movement as well. Right? Can you talk about that?
0: So obviously, the most obvious person that is conveying something on stage is the conductor. Through their hand gestures, through their body movements, the audience can't necessarily see this, but sometimes it's through the look in their eyes or the look on their face, which during COVID and people are wearing masks is greatly limited. Yes. But you know, they could raise an eyebrow. And I mean, you hear of orchestras that have had these music directors, and they say, Oh, this music director was here for 20 years. And if he raised his right eyebrow, we knew immediately he was going to do this. So that's the biggest kind of component of of conveying physically on Mm -hmm. stage. As a concertmaster, obviously I'm, I'm leading my section, so the first violin section, whether that's cueing an entrance or for example, looking at if we're playing something in unison with the flute, looking at the flute, maybe. Mm-hmm. or
2: So go for visual context in
0: Visual context, context and also to show people in my section who maybe at the back of the first violin section, maybe they can't actually hear the flute, especially, you know, if you're sitting on the outside of the stage and if you're turned slightly toward the audience or something, their back or the back of their instrument might be facing that direction. So even if I look in the direction of the flute, maybe they become a little bit more aware. Oh, she's looking that way. Maybe I should also look that way and see what I can learn visually since I can't orally tell what is going right. on. Sometimes it's a matter of fi- me physically locking eyes with, for example, a timpani player or a trumpet player or something so that an entrance can line up. And sometimes it's a matter of physically showing how bow stroke or an articulation should be played. That's more string specific, I guess, but it can also affect, again, if we're playing something in unison with clarinet or with oboe, how short a note might be or how quick a breath between sections might be. Those things all kind of add to the the final ensemble level. Um, So the physical component, Especially in preparation for the concert is important because once you get to the concert, I can't physically stand up and say, "Hey, everybody, listen, <laughs> listen to the Ovo." They hear that doesn't quite work. I don't think the audience would greatly right. appreciate a Mahler <laughs> symphony coming to a halt because, right? Because I don't think we're together with Ovo. So,
2: but let me so ask. I mean, I I'm sure those situations happen where during a performance you think, "So, ah,
1: that's not kind of what we." <laughs>
2: So how do you deal with that? at them? Or do you just have to, okay, accept it because music is in the moment. So the moment it happens, it's kind of over. Or have there been situations where it was not just the moment, but it kind of continued? So what kind of opportunities do you then indeed have? Is it then the visual contact or is there, how does that then work? How can you interact without indeed saying, Hey, break here. Let's have a quick <laughs> chat and let's go back a minute or two. So how do you do that?
0: I mean, of course, those moments happen, unfortunately, in, in concerts. It's less likely to happen in a, in a well-known piece, you know, a Beethoven symphony or a Brahms symphony or Mahler symphony, where, where an orchestra is familiar with the score and how the intricacies of those scores work within an orchestra. But a part of Cincinnati Symphony's history has been commissioning works. And so these newer works that we're less familiar with, sometimes it's a brand new commission. Sometimes it's a world premiere sometimes sometimes it's been played by other orchestras the year prior but it's a a premiere in cincinnati and we're less familiar with with the score and sometimes things happen in concerts and it's not quite together and maybe the audience doesn't know because it's a new piece but the orchestra knows something is not quite right here right and i guess this is one of the biggest things I've learned since starting my job is that sometimes less is more in that maybe if something is just going along and it's it's completely normal, maybe I don't have to physically always show what is going on with articulation or play here. Maybe it, I can just kind of sit back and once everything is kind of going along smoothly, just let the orchestra and my section do its thing. And then in the event that something does happen, then all of a sudden, if people see me sit up in my chair or give a big cue, then people might know, okay, we know to line up here or whatnot. Then maybe the cues become a little bit more effective instead of just having a blanket kind of level of high physicality all the time.
2: Oh, that's a wonderful epiphany. Thank you very much for sharing that and very wonderful aspect of the analogy there to find the right balance mm-hmm. where being directive at all of the times will lose its, its effectiveness at one point of time. Right. On the other hand, I mean, you cannot completely the, take the laissez-faire approach. Right. right? So it's that constant balance. And I mean, that balance in the moment right now may need to be a different one at a different time. Mm -hmm. And I think you just touched on a wonderful point as well that I've experienced to be one of the key to success and to scale and to motivate people, that you need to leave them freedom of action as well. Right. Not just be in their neck all of the time or constantly kind of are on on the jump. So that's a wonderful aspect, uh, Stephanie. Thank you for identifying that one. We did not talk yet in that analogy, but balance And also your awareness as the concert master that you probably need to maybe discipline or patient yourself at times, right? And and choose your battles. I know that's the wrong terminology, but you understand what I mean, right? To to choose your approach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, when I first entered the job, I thought if I show things all the time, then things won't go off the tracks, especially with string principle, when principals sit next to the rest of their section. So for example, principal oboe sits next to second oboe who sits next to, you know, English horn, and then they're in a line. So out of the corner of your eye, you can sense your colleagues' gestures. With string principals, the majority of your section, other than your stand partner, not not during COVID, but other than your stand partner, everybody is out of your viewpoint. So they're behind you. So I think gestures are, are important, but too much information is too much information.
2: It's an overkill and probably gets into into micromanagement and kind of even demotivating if people feel to be too much directed, right? I mean, they
1: feel like
0: you don't trust them and that you have no confidence that they can do their job. And everybody who's in an orchestra has won that position. Like anybody who's in a company, everybody has been hired for a reason. Everybody is extremely competent at their exactly they're all i mean they're
2: really pros right and yeah exactly cannot be too dictative or too directive in that respect but leave them that space including some of their own interpretation as long as it is in still in the framework of what is supposed to be composed together right? right or orchestrated together that's a wonderful aspect another one you just triggered a thought in here is obviously being a professional musician playing the violin how did you get prepared for the leadership role aspect of being a concert master? Is that learning by doing? Is there any specific training? How does that work in that in that sphere?
0: Yeah, honestly, I think learning by doing is the best way to kind of get into to that mindset. Coming into this, I had done concert master type things before. I was concert master in a training orchestra when I was just getting out of school. I was concert master and at Juilliard and in Cleveland and at CIM, Cleveland Institute of Music and, you know, in youth orchestra going up, but being concertmaster of a 52 week orchestra is a completely different ballgame. game. I think it's a very different mindset going into rehearsal as concertmaster than as a section player. The preparation obviously is there for, for a section player. Everybody has to have the the motivation to prepare for rehearsals, their right. own individual part. But like I said, with a concertmaster, you have to think about, well, for example, the Boeings, first of all, and how that can affect an interpretation of, that a conductor might have. Or you have to prepare your knowledge of the entire score so that, you know, you might have helpful things to tell your section or to look out for with other, with other sections. In terms of the leadership aspect, I think there were a lot of things that I didn't necessarily know coming into to the job that like we've we've started talking about here with business analogies and, and things like that that are extremely helpful in any kind of leadership right. aspect, whether it's music or business or your own personal life. When people might look to you for guidance or whatnot. And I did that the old fashioned way of reading books, listening to leadership podcasts like this one, picking brains of people in leadership positions that I know in my personal life, whether it's family members or friends, people that are not necessarily in in music that have that leadership experience that I didn't necessarily have.
2: Wonderful. Another spin to that. You're, if I, if I recall correctly, the first female concertmaster mm-hmm. of the CSO in its 126th year. Mm-hmm. What I would like to talk about that is I'm strongly convinced that we're still kind of in the middle of the journey that we have more female leadership, whether that's in politics, whether that's in business, whether that's in classical music, in orchestras as well. Right. So, in addition to that question about what it takes to be a successful concertmaster, not just artistically and with the music, but also from a leadership perspective. Tell us a little bit about what such a step means to an orchestra that is 126 years old. And in addition of being a female concertmaster, you're a relatively young concertmaster. I can imagine I've been a young leader several times. Okay, That starts to fade out because I'm getting older too. But I remember situations internally with customers, with business partners that kind of looked at me to say, Who's that young guy? So mm-hmm. where there was not that, not by fault, just by age, not level of experience where it may have taken an extra effort or extra time to gain people's comfort and confidence. So right. can you talk a little bit about those those factors being young and a the first female concertmaster of, of a 126-year-old institution?
0: Yeah, I had the same kind of thoughts when I first found out the results of the audition and I thought what if people have less respect because because of my age or what if people have less respect because I was in the orchestra previously and you know right. people that yes. used to be my senior are now the roles are a little bit reversed right
2: different wonderful yes
0: and I also thought what if there is a kind of an old-fashioned mentality of maybe women shouldn't be in in these leadership roles, and what if there's a issue with a lack of respect there? And fortunately, I wasn't actually met with any of those those fears coming to reality. Everybody in, in this organization was completely, overwhelmingly welcoming when I stepped into this position, whether it was colleagues on the stage, or the administration who works behind the scenes, or board members, and donors, and audience members. It just felt like there was a lot of support, which in my experience was fantastic. I'm so glad that none of my fears came came true. But unfortunately, for some people, those kind of fears are true in in their lives. And I think in 2021, the world is moving in a good direction with hiring of more females and more diverse people in the workplace. Cincinnati has kind of been in the forefront of, in terms of Cincinnati Symphony, of trying to find ways to make our administration and our orchestra look more like our community and more diverse and not necessarily the, what older orchestras looked like, which were white men that were, you know, in their fifties and sixties. And in the orchestra world, we are lucky that and this is the case in, in Cincinnati Symphony as well, that the audition process is blind. So the auditions take place behind a screen. There's carpeting on the floor of the stage when when you, a candidate walks out. So you're not aware of if it's male or female. What kind person, of shoes? Exactly. Right. If somebody's right. wearing high heels yeah. or sneakers. Yeah. And so in that respect, I think the hiring process is very fair. And so we're not met with the biases that right. a lot of companies are holding, I guess. Yes. So in that sense, we're very fortunate. I know Cincinnati Symphony and and a lot of orchestras are trying to find ways that the audition candidate pool can become even more diverse, whether it's through yeah. advertising of auditions or reaching out to helping musicians, you know, younger student musicians prepare for orchestra auditions, things like that. So there's still some improvement to be made for sure. But I think Orchestras are are very fortunate in that the hiring process is blind, which I think is part of the reason why maybe I wasn't met with the biases when I did step into the the role.
2: I mean, it's first of all wonderful to hear that. Obviously, there are ways to overcome potential or eliminate potential bias. Second, mm-hmm. not that I had any doubt, but it's so refreshing and good to hear that you have not been confronted with some of the the fears you just talked about. That mm-hmm. said, oh, I'm young, I'm female, and what could that mean? So that's super encouraging to hear. Is there any specific encouragement or advice you can share with young female leaders that listen to that podcast who have that opportunity like you based on great performance? Again, yours is artistic. Theirs might be in, in an organization What they do. Any advice, Any any recommendation you can give to them? Because we need so many of... More of of you, of young female in leadership roles in businesses, in politics. Any thought, any advice, any recommendation you can give based on your own experience?
0: Just be persistent and have the confidence to know that your skill set is important and is good. I think a lot of times we are met with criticism or critique when you are turned down for a job or when you are runner-up in a job or something, and in the moment, it feels very disappointing. But using that critique and then building on that critique to approach the next job even stronger than than you were before is incredibly important. So using the criticism to just strengthen your skill set even more, as opposed to letting it bog you down as you search for your job or your, your next job or, or whatever that opportunity might be. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Stephanie, thank you very much for those encouraging words for our oh. young female leader thank listeners you're... on the podcast. We're not even half through the questions that <laughs> I wanted to discuss, which is perfectly okay, because you provided so many wonderful aspects that we elaborated in further details. Stephanie, thank you very much for that inspiring input. I get encouraged that you'd share that you find inspiration through that podcast from a business leadership perspective to become a better concert master leader. Yes. In that respect. So it's wonderful that it looks like we're inspiring each other from different angles. But thank you so much for that inspiring input. Maybe we can have another conversation at one point of time, because there is indeed still a long list. I wanted to talk about the role of the soloist. I've experienced you being a soloist on stage. Mm-hmm. So there was the conductor and the concertmaster, and you as a soloist. So mm-hmm. there are still so many aspects, but I would park them for now. Wish you continued success in your role. The same to the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. I hope the pandemic is going to settle in a way that we will all be back in music halls, and the same for other orchestras. So thank you so much for your time and your inspiring input.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Sound Press, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr.